the same with a new face with strange mysteries hanging in the air people in their sane minds swear they see you today are you looking for the love they took away everyone knows that you couldn't bear the pain Ghoulish greetings. Thank you so much for stopping by Paranormal Prowlers podcast and making me part of your day. The tunes are, of course, as always, courtesy of the lovely Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Movies. They're a part of people's lives, you know. We head to the movies for date night. Perhaps dig around the $5 bin in Walmart. Watch them at home. Talk about them with your friends. Do you ever watch a movie and think, how long did it take them to make this movie from start to end? Or what happened during the filming of this movie? When I talk to people who've been involved in movies, whether it's for a big role or a cameo, it's always interesting to hear about the behind the scenes moments, the things that us, the general public, just don't see or know about. While some of the stories are funny and heartwarming and what have you, some are spine-tingling, bone-chilling. The appropriate response? Mm, Probably a blood-curdling scream. Welcome to part one of Bizarre Movie Curses. It's no shocker that things from time to time occur during filming movies. Whether it's accidents, mishaps, delays, or even death. But some movies, it seems that every corner turned. Something sinister is waiting. First on my movie curses list is The Wizard of Oz. It was released in 1939, but it wasn't their first attempt to get the story out. In 1902, they made a musical version And eight years later, a silent movie version was also released. And in 1925, they made yet another movie. This time, the main character was the Scarecrow. Well, it flopped, and in the process, it plunged one of Hollywood studios into severe bankruptcy. Of course, the version I'll talk about is the one that so many people know and love, a classic that people still love to watch after all these decades of being filmed. Watching the movie after learning what many of the actors endured is chilling at some points. The man, he stands there, feeling the weight on his shoulders. He looks at the scene before him and quietly sighs. (sighs) He frowns but is thankful that his mask hides his grimacing pain. He's sweating uncontrollably and wonders, is this worth it? Bert Lahr was the actor who played the cowardly lion. His costume was over 90 pounds. Believe it or not, that was an actual lion hide. No wonder it looked so incredibly real. This outfit was unforgiving to Bert's body. 
It offered no ventilation whatsoever, and the poor man was constantly sweating and is 10 pounds shy from a 100-pound lion costume. Two assistants had the task of drying this costume every single night as it was saturated with sweat. They had to dry it so it could be ready for him to wear for the next day of filming. Not only was the costume miserable, but Bert was not allowed to eat while in makeup because it was so hard to apply. He basically lived off of soup and milkshakes. But the filming of Wizard of Oz, believe it or not, went on for several years, and he finally put his foot, <coughs> his paw, down and started having lunches, making them have to reapply the makeup for meal breaks. And, you know, good for him. He didn't sign up for this. Several years? Come on. So the Cowardly Lion, he was not the only one to have costume issues. Buddy Epson was the man who was first originally cast to portray the Tin Man. But sadly, he lost that opportunity when the metal costume proved to be way more challenging to wear than he thought possible. It was so excruciatingly uncomfortable that he couldn't even sit down while in full costume. He also landed in the hospital when he had an allergic reaction to the Tin Man's makeup. This landed MGM in hot boiling water. They were in the middle of filming and they couldn't just wait around. So Buddy was out and the Tin Man that we all know and love, Jack Haley, was in. The role of a lifetime. Margaret Hamilton, who portrayed the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> and boy, did she portray it well. Some believe too well. As some people, after watching the movie, thought that she was evil in real life. And she was often ridiculed and bullied afterwards. She was so convincing in her role that many of Margaret Hamilton's scenes were cut from the movie as they were deemed too scary for children. Man, I would absolutely love to see those deleted scenes. I bet they were phenomenal and epic. Anyways, Margaret's face was often left with a horrible burn due to the witch makeup, which was a toxic copper paint. The makeup was so toxic that, like the lion, she basically was on a liquid diet. And her face stayed green for several weeks after shooting because of the copper-based ingredients. Not only that, but she actually caught on fire and was horribly burned during filming. And the really sad thing is that it didn't even have to happen. The scene went perfectly. The director wanted a redo of the scene just in case something happened to the original. After threatening Dorothy, the Wicked Witch of the West is leaving Munchkinland. Margaret falls through a trapdoor. The flames spew out from where she disappeared from. The scene goes off without a hitch. It's beautiful, and it has no issues whatsoever. However, on the redo scene, her coat and hat catch on fire. Layers of her skin on her face and hands come off in the process. Remember that horrible toxic copper paint she was wearing? Well, due to her accident, they had to take the paint off with alcohol. A cringe-worthy ouches deserved. Yowch! She was out for six whole weeks. She returned while she was still in recovery, but she refused to do any more fire scenes. And I mean, who could blame this woman? 
Poor thing went through hell. And again, it was during a redo scene when the original went off perfectly. It didn't need to happen. It could have been avoided 100%. Absolutely. Guess what? There is still a scene that needed to be done. But Margaret Hamilton gave them a big hell no reaction. No. And they desperately found themselves searching for another person to fulfill the scene. Remember when the Wicked Witch of the West is on her broom in the sky during the famous sky riding scene? It was actually a pipe filled with fire. And guess what? It explodes during the filming of the scene. The poor stunt double, Betty Danko, was injured and hospitalized for 11 days. And like Margaret Hamilton, Betty Danko never worked fire again. The man who portrayed the scarecrow, Ray Bolger, his makeup was so harsh on his skin that it left deeply, excruciatingly painful marks on his face. It took over a year for these marks to finally disappear. I mean, what a nightmare. Judy Garland, who of course portrayed Dorothy, was forced to wear a very tight, very uncomfortable corset. She was a young teenager and... Unfortunately, they wanted her to be younger than what she really was, so they had to hide her, you know, parts of her body so to make her look younger. So for that to happen, she had to wear this corset, and oh boy, she just couldn't stand it. She was also prescribed amphetamines to keep her weight down and barbiturates to help her sleep. And sadly, because of this early use in her life, she became addicted and many actually blame this movie for her death. There's rumor, with no survivor to say whether it's true or not, that Judy Garland had some issues on set when it came to a few of the actors who portrayed the Munchkins. Her ex-husband claims that she confided in him, telling him that they often would stick their hands up her dress. And she never told anybody else this, so who knows if it's true or not. I would really, really hope that he just made it up. I would really hope that nobody would have to go through that. Now, what is a fact is that Judy Garland, who's the main character in the movie, made $500 a week, while her friends, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Cowardly Lion made $3,000 a week. I mean, that's a huge difference. For a teenager, I'm sure $500 a week back in the 30s, that I'm sure that was just like, wow, that's a hit in a gold mine right there. But still, that's $2,500 more for her friends. There's one eerie rumor that one of the actors committed suicide during the filming of the movie, and that in the background of a scene, legs could be seen hanging there. The director said, no way, that's nonsense. No one died on the set, and what people are seeing is a bird spreading its wings. During filming, there's a scene you may remember when the cowardly lion makes his first appearance, and there's an encounter between Dorothy and the lion, and she slaps him. They had to film the scene several times due to the fact that Judy Garland couldn't stop laughing. Giggle here, giggle there. She just couldn't stop herself. You know, like when you hear a really good joke and you just keep laughing? Yeah, pretty much like that. Well, the director at the time, as they went through several, pulled her aside and slapped her. 
basically told her, get your shit together. This made her stop laughing, and the next take, she nailed perfectly. In 2005, a thief broke into a museum that held a pair of Dorothy's ruby slippers. She wore several pairs throughout the movie. They were later recovered by the FBI. Now here's a crazy fact for you. Terry, the dog that portrayed Toto, earned more than the munchkins. The pup made $125 a week while the munchkins made around the $50 range. One thing to keep an ear next time you watch the movie is when the scarecrow is singing, If I only had a heart. Apparently a woman can be heard saying, Wherefore art thou Romeo? The woman who sang this line got $1,000 for this hidden cameo. And cool fact, the woman Adriana Casalotti was the voice of Snow White. I mean, cool stuff. I never knew that. Another interesting fact, they used Jello for the different color horses. They even looked into animal rights groups so not to hurt the horses. It was completely harmless to the gorgeous creatures. However, they had to film very quickly due to the fact that the horses liked the jello and would immediately try to eat it. Now, during the scene where Dorothy suddenly falls asleep in the flowery meadow and it starts to snow, guess what they used for the snow? Asbestos. A huge yikes on that. Clearly, the actors and actresses in The Wizard of Oz went through a lot during the years of filming the now-classic movie, from being burned and scarred due to makeup, to makeup poisoning, to catching on fire, to liquid diets and horribly designed costumes and what have you. Some truly believe that this film was indeed cursed. Either way, it was interesting learning all the bizarre things behind The Wizard of Oz. Watch the movie now and keep an eye out for some parts that were mentioned, and it will make you probably appreciate the outfits and costumes just a little bit more. And just remember, the dog made more money. Give me my money. Cursed or not, I'm sure they were relieved once the movie was finally complete after years of filming. Next on my movie list is The Conqueror. This movie stuck with me, and you'll see why in a moment. This was a Howard Hughes film, and it proved to be the most expensive out of all of his movie projects throughout his life, and perhaps the most dangerous as well. To make the movie, it cost $6 million. That was in 1956. Today, that $6 million is $57,438,529. It was no walk in the park filming this movie. For instance, they were filming in the Utah desert, usually working in extreme heat waves. Many a times it would be around 120 degrees. And of course, they can't throw the clothes to the side, jump in a pool, cool off, and have a nice cold margarita. Nope, they were in full makeup and costume as anyone would be filming a movie. Then, during filming, a flash flood barreled through the set. Now, luckily, the actors and actresses escaped with their lives, but it was a terrifying event that none of them would forget. 
Picture it. Three years earlier. The year? 1953. The location? Yucca Flat, Nevada. 137 miles from Snow Canyon, Utah, where the Conqueror would be filmed. Bombs away. Literally, as the United States government was testing 11 atomic bombs in the area. A ton of that atomic dust settled, making its home in that canyon. Snow Canyon. The Conqueror's Canyon. And it's no shocker that it traveled that far, considering that the mushroom clouds were tens of thousands of feet high. It's believed that the producers and directors knew about what took place there just three short years earlier, but heeded the warning. It's also believed that the actors and actresses, the crew, had no idea. If so, many lives may have been saved, including one of my favorites, the Duke, John Wayne. Not only was the crew exposed to this toxic atomic dust and residue while on set for 13 weeks, but Howard Hughes arranged for a whopping 60 tons of the contaminated earth to be shipped back to the soundstage for retakes. Out of the 220 Conqueror crew members, 91 of those developed some type of cancer and 46 from other diseases. Some of the victims are none other than the director, Dick Powell, his life was snuffed out by stomach cancer, brain cancer ended Susan Hayward's existence, Pedro Armendariz, who portrays John Wayne's brother, had con contracted kidney cancer, and he found out that his cancer had spread. Learning that the case was terminal, he knew what he had to do. He refused to suffer a long, drawn-out, painful, agonizing death. So he committed suicide that very same day. He smuggled a gun into the hospital, and once left alone, he put that gun to his chest and he joined his dead crew members and friends. Agnes Moorhead left this world dying from lung cancer. John Hoyt, he too died of lung cancer. Lee Van Cleef, while he may have died from a heart attack, Secondary cause of death was throat cancer. John Wayne, when he was sick due to cancer, stomach and lung, mind you, and others were dying who filmed the movie with him. People around him, family and friends, were convinced it was due to the movie. He wouldn't hear any of it. He believed the illness was due to his deadly habit of smoking six packs of cigarettes a day. However, it must be mentioned that his two young sons, both in their early teens at the time of filming, Patrick and Michael, they had visited their dad on the set of the movie and hung out in the area for a while. Later on, they developed benign tumors that had to be surgically removed. And I believe Susan Hayward, her daughter, had to get a tumor removed as well. And she visited the set too. Now, thankfully, they weren't in the area for a long period of time, or they may have ended up like their father and his fellow acting comrades. It was apparent to Howard Hughes that people involved in the movie were dropping like flies. No, it's no secret that everyone is going to die at some point, obviously. I know this. You know this. Howard Hughes knew this. But what are the odds that after working on the set of a movie that's being filmed where atomic deadly dust calls home and from cancer? Again, people get cancer. There's many different types. Some survive. Sadly, many don't. Many people in my life 
that I love have passed away from this bully cancer. But the numbers, they're staggering. They're excruciating. And they're eerie. Many were young. Like Susan Hayward, she was only 57 years old when she died. With the deaths piling up, Howard knew he made a catastrophic mistake by approving the doomed site for the filming location. He ended up buying all known existing copies of the doomed and deadly film, The Conqueror, paying $12 million. Howard Hughes became an old, grumpy hermit, kind of lost his marbles, keeping to himself, and in his last years, usually lay naked on his bed watching two movies over and over and over again. One was his favorite, which is called Ice Station Zebra. The other, none other than the ill-fated cursed movie, some believe one of his biggest failures ever, The Conqueror. Unlike Ice Station Zebra, a movie he absolutely adored, he detested The Conqueror. He despised it. He was filled with resentment, anger, and major regret. He couldn't stop watching this movie, maybe hoping someday he would wake up and go, holy shit, that was a wild dream. I better wake up and tell the Duke all about it. But it was not a dream. It was a living nightmare plagued by death. One cannot help but imagine that if the movie did not exist, how many of those actors and actresses would still be alive today? What movies they would have appeared in? What could have been? That glimmer of hope? Gone forever. But, you know, in Howard Hughes' defense, even though he knew the location was 137 miles of the deadly area, Hughes and his advisors actually called and spoke with the U.S. government. They were assured by the Atomic Energy Commission that it was indeed safe to film in the location. They got the green light. They got the thumbs up. They believed what they were told, and we know the rest from there. It's truly something that haunted him for the rest of his life, from people getting sick and dying to flash floods. It's no wonder why people think this movie is indeed cursed. The next movie that I want to discuss is one of my favorites, and boy, was it ever so plagued with mishaps, accidents, and death. Two of my favorites will be subjects of the movie Curses episodes. This is the first one, Poltergeist. As most know, it's about a tight-knit family, and things get very creepy when sweet little Carol Ann makes friends with the TV people. They're here! Many terrible things occurred while filming and after filming as well, including bizarre deaths. Heather O'Rourke was the little girl who portrayed the evil demon's main target, little Carol Ann. She was precious on screen. She was a tiny little girl with long blonde hair and a tiny little voice. At six years old, during the first Poltergeist movie, she played the part perfectly. Though she acted well, she herself was not. She was sick. The doctors misdiagnosed her, and she was sent home. The following year, she got sick again. This time, it was thought she had the flu. Well, one day later, she would collapse and suffered cardiac arrest. The paramedics were able to restart her heart. But she died later on while being operated on. 
It was later believed that the poor young child actress had been suffering from a congenital intestinal abnormality. Her death shocked her family, her friends, her fellow poltergeist family, and her fans. She died so young, and every time I watch that movie, particularly the first one, it's a hard pill to swallow. Watching Heather acting her heart out, knowing that soon she would be dying a painful, sudden death. Watching that movie, I couldn't picture anyone else playing that part any better. And it's actually kind of a neat story how she got the part. She wasn't even trying. No audition, no praying that she'll get the part. Her sister was in the middle of a shooting of a movie called Pennies from Heaven. So Heather and her mom were enjoying a day together, hanging out, waiting for her to finish filming. And they were in the middle of lunch when Spielberg, who was searching for someone to play the charismatic and lovable role of Carol Ann, was sitting nearby, enjoying his own lunch. The little girl who resembled a doll immediately caught his attention and he knew she would be absolutely perfect for the role. He approached mother and daughter, offered her the role right then and there, and the following day, Heather O'Rourke signed the papers, and bam, she was Carol Ann Freeling. Poltergeist 3, her final film, was released the year that she died. The Freeling family contained three children, two daughters, youngest and oldest, and the middle child was the son. The remaining daughter would meet a gruesome end as well. Dominique Dunn, who portrayed the oldest sister, Dana, was brutally murdered by her estranged boyfriend, John Sweeney. They had separated and he came over trying to patch things up, give it another try, getting back together. Well, she rejected his advances and sadly that was enough to set him off into a jealous rage and he strangled her right there and then in front of the lawn and leaving her there to die. Well, she went into a coma and she never woke up. Five days later, she died. Their relationship was a troubling one. He had to have control. Always. He proved to be a very jealous man, and often their fights turned into domestic disputes turning physical. One time in front of witnesses, John actually yanked out a bunch of Dominique's hair. She tried ridding herself of him by going to her mom's, He would go and try to beat the door down. He was a horrible human being, and sadly, he barely spent any time in prison for her murder. Less than three and a half years later, he was out. It was slap on the hand. Three and a half years for a life brutally taken. I wonder how many other victims this jealous monster has had. The eerie thing is he tried to kill her before the deadly incident. They got into an argument, and he started to strangle her. It's apparent, it's obvious that he likes to strangle. He likes to use his hands. He likes to get up and close and personal in the victim's face. But, you know, if it wasn't for a friend staying over and hearing the muffled gagging sounds from the room over and stepping in, Dominique Dunn would have died right then and there. She tried escaping a violent predator several times, and she ultimately lost. Her father, Dominic Dunn, wrote an article for Vanity regarding his daughter's untimely and brutal death, titled Justice, a Father's Account of the Trial of His Daughter's Killer. And, you know, if you read that article, it's heartbreaking. It's about a father talking about his daughter who's brutally taken from this world and how he finds out that she died. 
and he discusses the fact that none of the family members liked John Sweeney. Now, when they first met him, they knew something was off about him, and they wished she would have listened, and how he was away on business when he got the call saying, you need to come home. And he talks about one time, an incident, when she was at a restaurant, and John went to go use the restroom, and a fan recognized her. And for the fan, she said, what's happening? That's a famous line in the line in the movie that she says when things are going crazy at the Freeling house. Well, when John Sweeney came back from the bathroom, he saw the fan talking to Dominique. But what he actually saw was another man, not a fan, but a man, a threat. And he was so insecure that he went over and violently shook the man, yelling at him. And he got physical with him. And it was a very scary thing. It happened a lot. And one thing he talks about is that him and his then wife lost two other daughters. So I'm going to read this little clip from what he wrote in March of 1984, and it says, By the time I arrived in Los Angeles at noon that Sunday, the report that Dominique had been strangled outside her home by her former boyfriend and was in a coma at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center was all over the news channels and stations. Then I skip ahead a little, and then he writes, A doctor at the hospital telephoned from for my permission to insert a bolt into Dominique's skull to relieve the pressure on her brain. Was it absolutely necessary, I asked? Yes, he replied. All right, I said. I asked him when we could go see her, and he said not yet. In this article, it's also revealed that a young man named David Packer, who was also in the movie, he was there when it happened, but he was inside the house. And he's the one who called police and stuff, but he left a voicemail on a friend's answering machine because he was so frightened by the struggle and what happened that he said, if I die tonight, it was by John Sweeney. Very scary stuff, for sure. And it's a very interesting article. It's worth reading. Kind of get more of a glimpse of who she was as a person and what happened and more details. And it's just very, very heartbreaking. So, you know, as we know, Dominic Dunn, he has written several bestsellers based on real life events and usually murders. He had his own show on court TV. He covered famous murder trials such as O.J. Simpson, the Menendez brothers, and so many others. Losing his daughter was excruciatingly painful and he never got over it. Poltergeist was released in 1982, the year of her death. Then, while filming the second poltergeist, Julian Beck, who portrays the evil preacher, he's diagnosed with stomach cancer. Once filming was complete, the ill man ended his life. And yet another death is that of Will Sampson. He played the Native American shaman named Taylor. He was undergoing two very serious surgeries, heart and lung transplant, and survival rates are extremely tiny, and he died. Before his death, he knew strange happenings were occurring on the set. He was an actual real medicine man, and he was what some may think of like a sensitive. 
He was into spiritualism and believed that an exorcism should definitely take place on the set. And that's exactly what they did one night after filming. He exorcised the movie set. While it's no 91 deaths like The Conqueror, four deaths are still huge. Many other things happened. Many people believe this movie to be cursed due to the fact that Spielberg insisted using real human remains. The skeletons that you see in the first movie are, are no surprise. As many know, they were real. Believe it or not, it was actually a lot cheaper for the crew to use real live skeletons than fake ones. Another eerie thing happened during filming. Oliver Robbins, who portrays the Freeling family middle child Robbie, he was accidentally strangled. Now he survives, unlike his two TV sisters. It's the famous scene when the child is being taken under the bed by the scary-ass taunting clown toy that suddenly comes to life. Something with the toy's mechanism malfunctioned, and the kid actually started experiencing strangulation. Now, obviously, thankfully, people were on the set and stopped the incident. He was so incredibly scared, though, but ultimately he ended up being okay. Another eerie thing happened to another actor of the movie, Richard Lawson. He played the role of Ryan, one of Dr. Lesh's assistants. This happened 10 years after the first Poltergeist was released, but still eerie and worthy of mentioning. Richard was on board a plane and found himself being switched to first class after giving a fan an autograph. It was the switch of a lifetime, and it proved to save his life. Unfortunately, the doomed plane crashed, and out of 51 passengers on board, 27 of them died, including the person who was sitting in Richard Lawson's original designated seat. Many believe this incident to be part of the so-called curse. Joe Beth Williams, who plays the matriarch of the family, Diane, said that during and after the filming of the movie that she experienced paranormal activity in her home. The author James Kahn, who was writing a book about the movie, said that as he was finishing up his project, that lightning struck his house. But wait, there's more! His AC unit suddenly and violently went across the room on its own, striking him in the back. After this, he found that his video games would play without anyone controlling the remotes. It seems decades later, it's still happening, as in 2015, the director for the remake of the movie dealt with paranormal occurrences. He experienced lights flickering on their own accord. His equipment would suddenly work and not work, and it would only work in certain areas of the property. He claims the house he rented while filming the movie was, in his words, straight up haunted, and that the spirit was that of a woman in black. She let her presence be known in an early time of his arrival, within the first few days. When he left after filming was complete, the person who leased him the house called asking if he experienced any frightening encounters. It's apparent she too was experiencing things once he left. Another piece of the cursed poltergeist puzzle has to do with Zelda Rubenstein, known for her famous line, This house is clean. She was in the middle of a photo shoot and was troubled to see a photographic light blur in several of the pictures. After the shoot, she found out that her mother had died, and she believes that at that exact moment those light blurs came about, her mother was dying. The list of things go on. While filming part three, an explosion occurred, starting a fire on set of the garage that was to be in the movie. This fiery event injured three of the crew members. The fire chief who responded said there was black smoke everywhere. Witnesses said a fireball chased everybody out of there. 
The Wizard of Oz, The Conqueror, and The Poltergeist. Three movies out of many that was filled with death, freak accidents, and fiery escapes out of so many other movies. Be sure to come back and check out part two of the movie Curses. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others, you guys. They are equally phenomenal. Haven't heard every single one yet? You can binge listen right now. Just head on over to any of the podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, wherever you may roam. You'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcast lurking in the background. This week's special city shoutouts go to La Habra, California, Denver, Colorado, Newport News, Virginia, Hampstead, England, and Helsinki, Finland. Thank you, Vaps and Ghouls, Wraiths and Phantoms, Goblins and Shadow People. You are all rock stars in my book. See you next week. <laughs>